What a lot of people like to do, and this isn't bad, I'm not judging it, I'm just saying it is what it is. What a lot of people like to do when they get up on the stage is they'll start just like telling stories, right? No, there's nothing wrong with that. They'll tell stories and like a couple of jokes, so you guys are like, oh, this guy, he's, he's pretty cool, like he gets it, whatever. Um, and then like 20 minutes in, they'll be like, all right, let's talk about Jesus for a minute. And you're like, okay, we're there yet, okay? That's not how I do things. I like to just dive in. So, buckle up. And tonight we're going to be looking in Psalm 42. Um, I just want to say a couple things about that before we get rolling. Um, We're not going to hit the entire chapter tonight. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Uh, We're going to start at the top, work our way to the bottom. We're not going to hit every single verse. Just keep that in mind. And the reason, when Ryan told me uh, that y'all were doing your Summer in the Psalm series, which I think is awesome, when he told me, yeah, pick a psalm, and uh, you'll preach on that, and it'll be great. There are a couple that I had in mind, but this one really stuck out to me. And I'll tell you why. When I was your age, growing up in the church, okay, and I've grown up a Baptist all my life. Working at a Baptist church now, love Baptist theology, Baptist people, Baptist food, amen, potlucks. Come on, y'all. Yes, Lord Jesus, come now. Um, but the one thing that I did not learn when I was your age, that would have helped me tremendously in life, is how to suffer well. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Just got like super dark. Everyone's like, oh, great. Yeah. But seriously, right? Because with Baptist, and again, love Baptists. Baptists are great. All my Baptist friends, you're great. Um, When you go up to someone and you say, man, I'm just really struggling with this, and I'm just going through this right now, and I'm feeling this way, what is the advice they tell you? The advice they give you, it is this. I was thinking, you just need to take that to Jesus. Right? You ever heard that? Like, right, you can, like, it's, it's real. You know what I'm talking about. Malachi's like, yes. If I hear my grandma say that one more time, yeah. They say, like, you just need to take that on to Jesus. Lay that at the foot of the cross. The foot of the, not the head of the cross, not the side, the foot of the cross. Right? Okay. And that's all fine and good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been there. That's all fine and good. But here's the thing. What does that mean? I have no idea. Like, someone says, like, oh, you just need to lay that at the foot of the cross, man. I'm like, oh, okay, don't know how. Don't know what that means. And it's coming from good intent, but here's what happens, right? Once we get that, we don't really know what that means or what that is. The pain or the darkness or the suffering or whatever it is starts snowballing because we don't know what to do, and then things just get all out of whack. So the one thing that we learn, I think, the clearest from Psalm 42 is how to suffer well. All right, so we're just going to dive in, and we're going to let the text kind of speak for itself a little bit. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, don't worry about that, as a deer pants... For flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, some of your translations might say, as the deer thirsts for flowing streams, or as the deer thirsts. And, and that's not wrong, okay? That's not a bad translation. But I don't think it quite gets across what this psalmist is trying to say, okay? Because this is not a deer who's walking along going, yeah. Some water would be great right now, but I'll be fine. If I don't get it, it's not a big deal. No, this is a deer who is walking around saying, I need water. I haven't had water in a long time. And if I don't get water soon, I'm not going to make it. We need to get that image in our head 
Because when we read the Psalms, sometimes it's like reading someone else's diary. We see people just pouring out their souls and the depths of their hearts. And another thing we need to keep in mind as we're reading this is a lot of these psalms were written as either poems or as songs, so they use lots of really emotional language, right? You've never heard a song that's just like, I'm feeling okay today. That doesn't happen, right? They use emotional language. Why? So that we can understand what it is they're walking through. Y'all feel me on that? You with me? Cool. So we're going to keep rolling. Verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And back in verse 1, it said, So pants my soul for you, O God. So keep in mind, this deer who needs water, and if he doesn't get it, he's not going to make it. And the psalmist is saying, that's how my soul feels about God, for the living God. Now, you don't need to say anything. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. But have you ever been there? Have you ever been at the point where you're walking around and you're saying, God, I need, I, what's going on? I need you. I need to hear from you. I need to see a sign from you. Just, just something to let me know that I'm doing this right or to let me know that we're still cool. Just keep that in mind. That's where our guy is walking right now. Again, in verse 2, My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Some translations say, When will I see your face? So again, this guy is saying, I don't, I, I don't feel this connection. If I don't get this connection soon, I'm not going to make it. And it's not like, I don't need like a miracle, right? I don't need ridiculous things to happen. I just need to see you. I just need to see you. So, let's keep moving. Moving into verse 5. And here, if your Bible is like mine, it has a header above the chapter, right, 42, and it has a, like, bold words or bigger font next to it. And this is where the title of this chapter comes from. In verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Remember, this is the psalmist saying this to himself. This is his writing, okay? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Let's just stop right there real quick. We see that phrase, cast down down, my soul. Okay? That's not a happy thing. This guy's soul is not doing okay. And when we see that word, that phrase, cast down, that's not like guys just like, oh, weird. How did my soul get down there? No. That is a physical action. That is a verb. His soul did not just end up there. His soul was thrown there. We don't know exactly who wrote this psalm or exactly what happened or exactly what the circumstances are, but in some ways that's okay because that, what that allows us to do is kind of insert ourselves into the psalm and say, why is my soul cast down? And why are you in turmoil within me? Something is going on in this guy's life that has him having this internal conversation with his soul. Again, you don't need to say anything. You don't need to raise your hand. You've ever been there. Have you ever been to that place? Some commentaries that I read and um, some sermons that I listened to to prepare for this call what this guy is going through spiritual depression. If any of you guys have ever struggled with emotional or psychological 
Uh, depression, it's this same sort of thing. And oftentimes with spiritual depression, it has other depression attached to it. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's look at that for a second, because sometimes what we have the tendency to do as Christians, right, is if someone comes up to us and starts just, just letting it all out about their problems and about things they're struggling with, you, we kind of take a step back and go, oh my gosh, like, I wonder if that person's even a Christian anymore. Like, I'm not seeing a whole lot of Jesus going on in what you're talking about over there, right? Sometimes we cast that judgment call. And sometimes when this happens to us, when we're the ones in the darkness going, why are you cast down within me, oh my soul? We start to wonder, are we even Christians? Have we lost our faith? Is Jesus not connecting with us anymore? Sometimes that question pops up in our heads And if you've ever been there, I just want to comfort you and say, this guy is at the bottom of the pit. All right, he's at the lowest of lows and the darkest of darks. But it's interesting. Because the second half of verse 5 says, hope in God. He's telling his soul, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, don't get it twisted. This guy is still believing in Jesus, right? This guy's still trusting in God. This guy hasn't lost his faith. He's just struggling in the dark. So when a friend comes up to you and they're struggling, don't just assume that they've lost their faith. They might say some things. Don't just assume they've lost it. Stay with them. This guy knows the answer. He knows. He knows Jesus is the solution. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So even though he's staring this darkness in the face, he knows eventually he will praise God again. He knows he just can't right now because of the darkness, because of the storm. Let me ask you something again. Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything. You ever been there? You ever been to that point where you just, you just can't see past this wall that's in front of you? You just can't get around it, whether it's some depression or some anxiety or the desire you have to be perfect in every single thing you do so that nobody sees how wildly insecure you really are? You ever had that standing in front of you and you can't see past it? Because our guy's there. Let's move on to verse 9. I'll show you how I know that. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock. Again, he calls God his rock. You don't call something your rock that you don't believe in anymore. He knows the truth. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why have you forgotten me? Now, something we need to keep in mind, okay, kind of a spoiler alert. God hasn't actually forgotten him. Okay, that's not something that God does. But, like I was talking about a second ago, when that wall is in front of you and you can't see around it, that's how it seems. 
it seems like God has forgotten you. And I'm saying the word seems because it also feels that way, but feels isn't strong enough of a word. It seems like that. All the evidence is pointing to that, that that wall is there, I can't move it, and God has forgotten me. You ever been there? I have. I have. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? That's how it seems. It seems as though God has forgotten our guy. But we know the truth, right? We know that God doesn't forget his own. We know that God doesn't forget his people, right? We, we know that. So then, what's the deal Russell, you might be saying, so like, I'm in this spot right now. I see that wall. I'm surrounded by darkness. It sure seems like God's just out of the picture. So what's the deal? Why am I, why, what's the reality? Why am I like this? I think the reality is this, right? Because we've ruled out, it can't be that God has forgotten you. So then what's the deal? I think the problem here is how we think about God. Let me explain to you what I mean, okay? Somehow, and I don't know how, but you and me got it in our heads that Jesus works like Advil, okay? Anyone ever taken Advil before? You know what I'm talking about, right? Pain reliever, Advil, ibuprofen, that kind of a thing. Um, About a week ago, my wife, um, I was with my wife and her family in the mountains, and uh, I got food poisoning, okay? And uh, if you've ever wondered, how can I ruin a perfectly good mountain weekend? Food poisoning will do the trick. Um, and so food poisoning is just awful, right? Like wooden woodshed on my worst enemy in a thousand years and miserable. And the next day after the food poisoning, I was just in recovery mode and I had headaches and it was terrible. I never get headaches. It was terrible. And so you better believe, I was talking to my wife on the drive home. I was like, you better pop me some ibuprofen right now. Like, I need Advil, whatever you, I'll take Tylenol at this point, whatever you got, just to make the pain go away. And somehow, you and me got it in our heads that that's how Jesus works. Right? We've got these problems, we've got these issues, we've got these things that we can't work out in here and in here, and we think, oh, well, maybe I just pop a couple of Jesus, right, and problems are gone, right? Maybe you heard someone say that one time, like, if you want to accept Jesus, all your problems will go away. Somehow we started believing that, and so here's what happens. For a while, it's okay, right? For a while, we're like, man, Jesus loves me. This is great. All this. Jesus works like Advil, and then we get hit by the reality that nothing's getting better, right? We're still in that darkness. That wall is still standing in front of us. Nothing's getting better. Matter of fact, some things might be getting worse. If you talk to some of the people who wrote this book and ask them, hey, after you became a Christian, did all your problems go away? I think they would laugh you out of the room. But somehow that's what we think. Right? Somehow we just put that two and two together and we're like, okay, Jesus plus me equals no more pain forever. 
And that's the idea that we got. That's what we started believing. And then we realized that doesn't work. So then what do we do? We're over here now. We're kind of going, well, okay, so is something wrong with me? Am I doing something? Am I believing in Jesus wrong? Do I need to have more faith? How do I have more faith? What what am I doing? Or worse, we start saying, has God forgotten me? If this God thing's even still real. And the reason for that thinking and the reason for that place of darkness is because you and me got it in our heads that Jesus is Advil. Friends, the truth tonight is Jesus is not Advil. Jesus is an anchor. Here's what I mean by that, all right? Back in this day, and maybe still today, I don't know, I don't spend a whole lot of time on boats, but the way an anchor works is when a storm comes up, right? You don't throw the anchor overboard and expect the storm to go away, right? Like, oh yeah, just throw the anchor over, it'll be gone in like two minutes. No, that's not how that works. The anchor does not get rid of a storm. What does the anchor do? The anchor holds you in the storm. Do you see how that's different than that other idea of Advil, right? Advil is just a quick relief of pain. An anchor holds you in the storm. Friends, that is how Jesus operates. He's not Advil. He's an anchor. When the darkness comes, and we're in the darkest of darks and the lowest of lows, and in the most desperate of storms. Jesus holds us and says, I know you're hurting. I know this is dark. I know you don't see hope, but I'm here and I'm asking you to trust me. So here's what that means, right? Because we might look at that and go like, okay, well, that's super comforting. I'm glad to know Jesus is there with me. What that doesn't mean is that the storm goes away. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean once we say, okay, I understand, Jesus is my anchor. Now my storms go away. That's not how that works. We don't just throw Jesus at our storms and he just goes, whip, and rips the carpet out from under him and we're good. That's not how that works. I love the way this passage ends. This is going to sound really morbid, I know, hang with me. I love the way this passage ends in verse 11. And if you're reading it and you go, that kind of looks familiar, that's because it's in verse 5. It says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Here's a funny thing about this. Our guy is still in the darkness. He's not out of it. Normally we would think, this is the Bible, right? Like our guy starts in a not great place, encounters God, and now he's good, right? We expect this to say, why were you downcast, O my soul? But it doesn't. It says, why are you downcast? Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Friends, a wise man once said this to me. And I might lose some friends over this, but this is the truth. He said, sometimes God's goal is not to remove the darkness. 
Let that sink in for a minute. I know it's really morbid. It's really dark, really depressing. You're probably going, Ryan, never invite this guy back. I don't like this, right? But it's the truth. And it's truth I wish when I was 15, I wish someone had told me that. When I was 17, I wish someone had told me Jesus isn't an Advil. Jesus is an anchor. He doesn't just take the darkness away. He doesn't take the pain away. He can, but that's usually not how he operates. Jesus holds you in the storm. I wish someone had told me that. But friends, the anchor does not mean the storm will pass. And the truth tonight is that we might never see the end of our darkness or our storms this side of eternity. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could tell you differently, but I can't because that's the truth. We might not live to see the end of the darkness, but... Verse 11 doesn't end with him saying, why are you in turmoil within me? It ends this way. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The key word here is I shall again praise him. Did you catch that? I shall again. Meaning in the future, there will come a day when I will hope in Jesus, when I praise him and thank him for delivering me through the storm. And I don't know what darkness or what storm or what wall is in front of you that you might be walking through, but I can promise you this, no matter what it is, there will be an end. And that's just not just like my good vibes and my hopes. That's a promise from Almighty God. There will be an end to your pain and an end to your suffering. See, here's the good news, okay? I just brought you all down. You're all like really sad. Here's the good news. Here's where the story gets better. And this is true. Revelation 21, it's not going to be on the screen, but it says this. He, talking about God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. That word every is a promise, not just the really bad ones, not just the ones that hurt the most, not just a couple of them, not you pick your top three and I'll wipe those away. No, every tear, past, present, and future will be wiped from your eye. Eventually. The time is coming. That is a promise. Every tear will be wiped from your eye. There's an illustration of this that I love. Um, If you know anything about the Matherly boys, my brother and I, you know that we are uh, Lord of the Rings nuts, okay? We are like those crazy fanboys. I have an atlas of Lord of the Rings world uh, in my apartment right now, yes, I have an atlas to a place that does not exist, okay? Just throwing that out there. Thank you. Um, 
And at the end of it, if you don't know Lord of the Rings, you should, but it's three books and three movies, right? Um, and the last book is called Return of the King, and I don't want to give too much away, <clears throat> but at the end of Return of the King, we have a character named Sam. And let's just say this about Sam, okay? Sam has been put through the ringer over the last couple of years in these books, okay? There's a lot of detail. He has been put through the absolute ringer. And he wakes up on the other end, and he's talking to Gandalf the wizard. And Sam looks at Gandalf, and he says, Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? And Gandalf says, yes, a great shadow has passed. But listen to the words that Sam says. Is everything sad going to come untrue? See, because it's not just enough For God to say, okay, after this point, no more evil, no more darkness, no more storms. Yeah, that's great, and that's more than we can do, but that's not what this promises. This promises everything sad not only will stop, but will become untrue, meaning it will be reversed. Revelation, God says, behold, I am making what? All things Everything sad will come untrue. Every tear that you've cried, every thought of self-loathing or of doubt that you've ever thought will come untrue. Friends, that's not positive thinking, that's a promise. Every tear, past, present, future, will be wiped from your eye forever. And when we trust in Jesus as our anchor, we begin to see that. But I know that's hard. Okay, I'm sensitive to that. I know that's hard. And I know you might be sitting here saying, Russell, that's all fine and good, and I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. But I'm still there. I'm still in this darkness. I'm still in this storm. This stuff is still going on. I'm struggling with this, and no matter how hard I fight, I just can't shake it, and it won't go away. And I know. And it's hard. But friends, the truth tonight is a promise So to the soul, to the heart, to the mind that is in darkness, that is in a storm, in conclusion, I just want to say this to you to encourage you. Remember, Jesus is not Advil. Jesus is your anchor. And if there's one final thing I can leave you with is this. When you are in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the storm, I tell you to hope in God, for you shall again praise Him, your salvation and your God. Let's pray.